Hello and welcome to this episode of Little Bits of Stuff, a podcast that showcases different health-related topics for medical professionals and non-medical audiences. This show is brought to you by Nick Ate, a surgical resident at University College Hospital, Ibadan, Nigeria. And here's your host, Nick. Hello, everyone. Dr. Nick here again with the Little Bits of Stuff podcast. It's been a very long week, or would I say two weeks, with everything happening in the country. And I just want to ask, how are you guys? How are you holding up? How are you mentally? How are you physically? I hope your loved ones are okay. And for those that have left us, we pray for them and their families, that God will help them through these trying times. Remember, you are not alone. Even if you're going through stuff, don't take any rash decisions. Reach out to someone, seek help, seek companionship, and you'll feel better for it. It's Tuesday, and we're back on our child sexual abuse series with an experience shared by a child sexual abuse survivor. She was abused several times right from age 7 even until the teenage years, and with our previous discussions, they were all just classical. For all intents and purposes, names are fictional, voice changes have been made, all for anonymity. Now, let's hear her experience. I was abused at different times in my life. First started when I think I was seven or eight. Then when I was nine. Then when I was much older, like an older teenager, like 19. By different people at different points. I would want to believe for different reasons as well. Um, much later, when I was 19 or 20, no, I was 19. I knew that one was sexual abuse, but earlier in life, I had no idea. And it was presented in such a way that it was, it was made to look mutual. It was made to look like we were both enjoying it. And so, I mean, it's not a bad thing. So at the time, I thought I was, permit me to use the word catching crews. I had no idea that what I was, what, what was being done to me was wrong. Although I did know that these people always wanted to be hidden. They always wanted to be alone with me. They always, you know, wanted to go to corners. I know but that's as far as I knew that something was fishy, but the act in itself, I wouldn't say that I know that was wrong.
perpetrator or perpetrators once was a maid, others were neighbors, two times they were neighbors, um, then much later they were people like say I trusted enough to visit. So they were friends or friends of friends. So, um, there were people I knew. There were people that people around me also knew. They were neighbors. Okay, so, the first exposure that I had to anything sexual was from a maid. I'm female. She's female too. But she was, uh, she was a teenager. She was, I believe, 15 or 16. I can't be particularly sure how old she was, but I, I was seven. And she would... When we play at home, she would say we should ask mommy and daddy. She would be daddy. She would make me, you know, touch parts of her. She would make me fondle her breasts. She would make me... Uh, was, was, was the medical word for oral sex? Felashio, I believe. Yeah, she would make me do that to her. She would basically just get off on me, you know, get all the sexual gratification from me and try to give some back as far as she knew that a child could get. You know, and it it became sort of normal when we played ice. I I I sort of knew that was where we were going to and so I was would I say ready to do anything she wanted me to do because again I didn't know it was wrong she was admitted we were always at home alone so there was no need to hide as such and um, later it was again a teenage older guy that one I believe was about 9 years older than me and at that point I believe I was 8 or maybe I was still 7 I'm not sure because I want to think that some of these things happen simultaneously at around the same time. Okay, the other person was my mom had a she had a store in a complex of other shops. So this person in question was the son of of, of one of the owners of the shops in the complex. And he would call me into his mom's, his own mom's store. Whenever I come back from school, I would come to my mom's shop to stay. So whenever I come back from school, I would, you know, I was idle. I would finish my assignment and just walk around. And then he would come into his own mom's shop and, you know, take me into the inner, inner corner of the shop. And try to finger me in in that time he 
he would I don't know if he was trying to break my hymen. I don't know if he was trying to be sure that he could penetrate. I don't know what it was that he was trying to do, but he would finger me, it would be painful. And when he sees that oh, I'm feeling pain, he would stop. He would make me kiss him, he would make me give him oral sex, he would do all sorts of things. Sometimes he would make me lie down and he would try to penetrate. But it, it didn't work. It, it couldn't. So he would stop and try to get his gratification some other way. I would. I have memories of you know when he would try to force his penis down my throat, and I would feel myself choke, and I'll be like, "This is not. I don't know. It's not working." With him was. The first ever experience I had of kissing anybody. It was... Yes, that's what I would call my first kissing experience. He would... At some point, he was even starting to... He was even starting to be possessive of me. In a way. And... Started to make it look like we had a relationship. Sort of. And it was my obligation to... Sexually gratify him. Uh, the other person that I want to believe I, I think I remember also happened simultaneously was, was a neighbor at home in his case whenever I and my siblings went to the other house which rarely happened we would go to the other compound and he this one was a much older uncle. I don't believe he at that time was in his early 20s. He would call me and show me pornographic images on his phone and then tell us to, you know, um, do what they were doing. And we'd go about that for some time. Sometimes it would be when we go to his side. Sometimes he would make sure that I'm alone at home. I don't think we had a maid at the time, or maybe the maid was not around. That part of the memory I'm not very clear about. But he would make sure I'm alone at home and come over to our own house and show me those same images. Then, then phones were not sophisticated such that you could have long videos. They were, they were never as long. They were never up to a minute long they were just you know short repetitions of sexual things so he would play them and tell us to you know copy whatever was happening he would do what he wanted to do maybe if he thought we were about to get caught then I didn't know all these things but maybe if he thought we were about to get caught he would leave it was it was It was normal at the time. I wouldn't say it was normal, but it didn't feel wrong. And funny enough, none of them ever told me not to tell anybody. None of them ever told me to keep it a secret. It was just something that happened. And they probably made it look as so much like play that it didn't matter. 
whether or not I told anybody. And so I did it. Did even occur to me to tell anybody. Much later, then I knew that it was that was rape. Then I was already an older teenager. Then I was 19, and I was an older teenager. And well, I had a boyfriend then, because like I said, these things do not feel wrong to me until my until now that I've been I've been exposed to knowledge of sexual abuse. I know that I was abused as a child, but it never really affected me growing up. Not negatively that I would be that I would be perverse towards men or like I'll be repulsed by men. So I was in a relationship at nineteen, and I went to see the person I was dating, and he. I think he had his mom. His mom was around, and he said, "Okay, please wait for me in my friend's house. When she leaves, you come over." Okay, so I waited. While I was waiting, his friend came once to me and was giving me the whole "I like you" speech, and I told him, "Excuse me, your friend is supposed to be my boyfriend. This cannot work." Well, we were at it for a while, and before I knew it, he's forcing me down, he's tearing my dress, he's, he's entering, he's you no, know, it was it was pretty violent. He was he was like. Was uncontrollable. I really tried to fight him off, but he was a very huge person, so fighting him off was almost impossible. So that happened, and well, I left. I went home. I never saw the guy again because even when I told the guy in question that I was supposed to be my boyfriend, he told me I was lying. Much later, I even got to like I I think I or rather I want to believe that it it could have been a setup. It could have been you know <laughs> one of the, the evils of men <laughs> could have been him trying to set me up for his friend to rape. But I don't want to think that far. So. That's how they all went. All my experiences. Um, for my childhood, sexual abuses, it was, it was continuous. Like I said earlier, it was. It happened often. It wasn't an everyday thing, but there was no, there was no particular repetition. Um, there was no particular. Uh, read. Uh, what's it, what's it called? Now, should, should I call you reading? There was no particular timelines to it. It happened randomly, but a lot of times by all the three different people. It was not a one-time thing. It was constant. It was like I said. It felt normal. So. I wasn't even keeping tabs of the number of times that it happened because it felt like play. Uh, I never complained to anybody. I never told anybody. First, because I didn't feel like it was the wrong thing, and when I did realize that it was the wrong thing, I never told 
the people that were in charge of me, my parents, my siblings. I never told anybody about that. Once though, I wrote about it in a magazine. That's, that's about it. But the people that are closest to me, people that are around me, no, they don't know. Well, except now. <laughs> now, I my boyfriend knows about it because, well, I have to share everything about me. And, um, the, the, um, you know, the part about the person that I told and told me I was lying, so that's true. I did tell my boyfriend then about the rape, and he told me I lied. But my present boyfriend knows all these things, and well, he's very understanding of my situation. But earlier, I I didn't I didn't think it was something to tell, so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't I didn't share with anybody. It went on for. Uh, three years. What? Well, three, two years, two to three years, from when I was seven to when I was nine. Yeah, so that's three years. When I was seven to when I was nine, when I entered secondary school, the other forms of abuse, the household abusers, those ones stopped. I probably sort of got older and then maybe they realized that I would know that this is wrong now. So it's, it's just stopped when I got into secondary school because I went to boarding school from GS1. So the distance might have helped, the detachment might have helped. But it, it stopped after I got into secondary school. It never affected my relationship with other people. I didn't I didn't see it as as a bad thing and until much later and then by then I already I already lived a normal life I, I could not now start feeling depressed over something that had happened I already became a Christian so that again was already sorted out um well after the rape I, I don't know I after the rape of the person that I was dating, I didn't, it didn't affect me in such a manner that it, it weighed me down or got me extremely sad because I kind of have a, what I would call a resilient mind. I gave myself all the pep talk that I needed to give myself. I gave myself all the all the, all the, would I call it now, treatment that I needed to give myself. I was contraceptive savvy. I was in 200 level studying physiotherapy. So I already knew, I already knew what, what I was supposed to do or not do to myself after a rape. So I, after that, I just gave myself all the pep talk I needed to give myself. And a year after that, I became a Christian. So even that, for that helped me to sort out the issues in my head, if there were any left, and heal completely from the hurt and the, you know, the the um, 
whatever twistedness was deposited from all the experiences. Well, if I would be honest, I wouldn't call it trauma. Even when I was raped by my boyfriend's friend, I don't think that I was traumatized in the sense of the word. I don't know how God did it for me. I don't know how it was possible, but trauma is not what I would say I felt. I was more disappointed and awakened to the reality of the world. And it made me, it made me wiser, it made me stronger, it made me, it made me more careful of who I trusted and all that, but I wouldn't say that I was traumatized. My siblings don't know, my parents don't know, and it never and will never affect our relationship. Also, I want to believe that, I, I want to, if I think about it now, in my early teenage years, when I was between 13 and 16, I and my mother had a lot of altercations, we had a lot of arguments, and I want, I want to think that I lashed out at some point at her. Or maybe it was just, you know, the teenage period. But yeah, I, I now that I think about it more objectively, I think that in those three years of my life, I was experiencing a lot of emotional instability and I lashed out. It affected my relationship with my mother to an extent. But now it is all gone. It's all healed. We are all, we are older now. We are more mature now. So... It has, it has no effect right now on my relationship with either my parents or my siblings. Yes, I've been able to have sexual relationships with the opposite sex, healthy sexual relationships with the opposite sex. It has not affected my sexual life in any way. It did not affect my sexual life in any way. And it has not, it will not affect us in the future. Psychologically, I'm fine. Where I am now is I want to, I want to help as many people as possible get out of the rut of, of, of self battery of, you know, blaming yourself for the things that have happened to you. And I want to. Now I'm at the stage where I want to help more people get out of the, 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 the fix that sexual traumas and sexual abuse puts them in I have I, I, I believe that I have completely healed, I have forgiven myself forgiven my perpetrators I have I have gotten to the place of complete forgiveness and right now I just want to help other people get better that's where I am right now Yes, I believe that it could have been prevented if I had more attentive parents and um, 
if much later if I was um, a little wiser, a little more street savvy. But the earlier days, the earlier years, yes, I believe it could have been prevented if I had more sensitive or attentive parents. When I have a family, I would be more, um, I'll be more observant of my kids. I believe that I showed signs of exposure to sexual knowledge, but my parents didn't notice it. So I will be more observant, both physically, both mentally, spiritually too, of my parents. Because I believe that there's a big role that spiritual has to play in the complete well-being of children, especially in their formative years. I was born into a family that went to church, but we're not, we're not spiritually strong. So in my place as a parent of any child, even if it was somebody that was just entrusted in my care, the, the, the place of putting your child in God's hands, of putting the Holy Spirit before you to lead you, in your parenting, in your watching over your child, in your responsibility as a parent. I believe there's a place for that. I believe, in fact, that is the most important thing. And as a parent, if I do have the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, everything else is just going to come to me easily. So as a parent, I would definitely be more spiritually sensitive. I'll be more spiritually alert as a parent for my children i'll be more spiritually in touch with my family such that even if i have a child that wasn't telling me what was going on or if i had a child that was um i was a i was an introvert that didn't talk often the holy spirit would tell me where to go what to do where to turn to how to help the child and we'll be able to fix whatever might be going wrong before it gets to the point where where damage has been done that cannot be repaired. I don't think that I need therapy. I have all the therapy that I need in God. I, I am absolutely fine. If anything, I want to think that I could even be therapy for somebody. So... Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. The experiences of a child sexual abuse survivor. Always a tragic story to hear. Always, always. Neighbors, family members, uncles, really strangers. Always brings the issue of trust to the fore. Well, I'm happy for her orientation right now, her healing process, and the readiness to help others you know, going through the same issues. Little Bits of Stuff is also working on partnering with institutions and NGOs for those that need help through this platform and some that would like to you know, volunteer to help. Please reach out to me if you also know an organization that is willing to work with us on this project. 
we also have experts that are coming on the show later on to give talks and um, educate us more on child sexual abuse and the other issues surrounding it. That's it for this episode. Join us next Tuesday for another episode. Don't forget, the Little Bits of Stuff podcast show is not for you alone. I mean, why hurt it? Don't be selfish. Help others. Send this to others. Educate people. I hurt your feelings, right? <laughs> all right, all right. I'm sorry. I was joking all along. All I'm saying is listen, subscribe, and share. Bye for now. And that's it on Little Bits of Stuff for today. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Podcast. You can also get it on Audio Mac and YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Lil Bits of Stuff. That's L-I-L-B-I-T-S-O-F-S-T-U-F-F. And on Instagram at Little Bits of Stuff. That's L-I-T-T-L-E Bits of Stuff. Until next time, stay healthy.